The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Lord Jesus, um, on a day like this, I, I mean, sometimes the weather can just mess with us. And Lord, sometimes we can um, wake up and we can think, oh, another, uh, it's just, uh, it's too early, or oh, just, it's raining and it's just a nasty day outside. But Lord, the truth is, this morning when the sun came up, your mercies for us came up anew. The truth is that as we sit here and we, we breathe in and we breathe out, it's all by your grace that we're here. This is a gift you've given us. So Lord, I pray now as we open your word, we would, uh, uh, we would come expectant, we would come with the um, understanding that this is a gift from you, um, and Lord, we would come uh, waiting to hear from you with our, our hands open, our hearts open, our minds open, um, to be blessed by you, to hear from you, to be transformed by you. Um, Lord, this is all about you this morning. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and speak clearly this morning. Make it all about your fame, all about your name, and no one else's. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad that uh, you're with us. And uh, I want to start by saying that we live in a world of conveniences, don't we? How many of you have smartphones? Anybody? Anybody got a smartphone? Pull that thing out, right? We got a smartphone here. Some of you, you're, you're already multitasking. You're, you're pretending to take notes and texting at the same time. That's really cool. And, and, and here's the thing. This thing is, it's super convenient, right? I don't have to, um, like, open the window to find out what the weather is like. That's, that's, that's old-fashioned, right? I can just look on my phone. I can order a pizza from there. I don't have to talk to anybody anymore. I can just hit a button and order a pizza. It's fantastic. But, you know, even with these conveniences, there are inconvenient sides to our conveniences, aren't there? I mean, think about it. Like, how about your memory? This has messed with my memory forever. I don't have as good of a memory. Why? Because I can Google everything, like absolutely everything. And there was a Columbia University psychologist did a study and, stu- and published a paper on it. And, and basically she was saying that Google has changed the way we remember things. Here's what she said. We remember less through knowing information itself than by knowing where the information can be found, right? So when my kids come up to me and ask me a question, right, instead of saying, ask your mother, I'm just going to say, I don't know, ask Siri, right? It's forever changed the way my mind works. And, and also my sense of direction has been forever hindered by this little thing right here. It's got GPS in it. I don't know how to get home without this, all right? Like, I get home late, and Angel goes, where were you? I'm sorry, I had, to, I had to charge my phone. It died, and I didn't know where I was, right? Like, I don't, I don't know where I am without this thing. The other night, I was going to uh, take a student home after uh, this thing we did with the, the youth, and they had just moved, and so I, I told his mom, I was like, look, I'll take him home. And uh, she, uh, she started telling me directions how to get to their house, and I was like, just give me your address. And then the student, like, really offended, like, looks at me and, like, I know where I live. I know my address. And I was like, oh, okay, man, all right. What is it? Give me your address. So I, I, I write down his address and I go, okay, well, she's telling me how to get there. How do you get there? And he's like, I don't know. Ask Siri, right? And like, it's forever changed the way that, uh, that my mind works. And so sometimes things that are really convenient, they have an inconvenient side to them. And and that's not, that's not any different than when it comes to the scriptures, because there are scriptures that are convenient, right? There are scriptures that we use that are really convenient. When I was growing up, my parents, uh, I don't know how many scriptures they know, 
But I know for sure they know honor your father and mother. That one they knew, right? Like that was down. No matter what, it was honor your father and mother, right? And listen, any kids in here? I'm going to give you, you ready to memorize some scripture this morning? Memorize Ephesians 6, 4. Say, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. All right? Like, so that's, that's, some, that's a convenient scripture. You can have that. Maybe another convenient scripture, remember, uh, maybe uh, husbands, your, your, your wives, as they get older and, and, and their hair color becomes, well, gray, right? And maybe they're down on themselves. A convenient scripture to quote them is from Proverbs that, that says, gray hair is a crown of glory, Right? And she doesn't appreciate that. And just quote Proverbs 21, 9, better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome woman. Now listen, be prepared to live on the corner of a roof when you say that, all right? But I'm like growing up, like I, I use that too. I, I was, when I played basketball uh, as, a, as a kid, um, I was not very good, shocker. And uh, I was the point guard. So I, I was, I, my job basically was to protect the ball. Like that's my job. And so my coach would say to me before the game started, Grant, can you please just protect the ball? Please don't turn the ball over. And I would say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Philippians 4.13, I'd run out there after my 30-second turnover. He would bring me out of the game and say, what happens? And I would just quote Job and say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, right? Like, and so although I've given you some funny examples, this is true. We do this all the time with scriptures. There's scriptures that we like. There's scriptures that sound good. There's scriptures that prove our point, And so we use them. They're convenient. However, here's the problem. Uh, most of these convenient scriptures we use, they have an inconvenient context, right? Meaning like in their context, they don't really mean what, we, what they think we mean. And, and, and we're missing, and that the reality is we're missing the true meaning. And if we're missing the true meaning, then we're missing the true joy and the true blessing that these scriptures have for us. So we're going to focus our attention on one of these incredibly convenient verses today. And we're going to look at its inconvenient context. And in this inconvenient context, I think we're going to find a fuller and richer um, and more satisfying meaning um, of this verse. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your chairs. You can take that with you. That's our gift to you. If you have a smartphone, you can follow along there. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, if you think that um, uh, teenagers don't memorize scripture, uh, try to confront them on something and you will hear this verse, right? Like, judge not lest you be judged, right? Like that verse, this verse is a convenient verse for when you feel cornered or, or, or someone's trying to correct you or accuse you or anything like that. And in fact, the convenience of this verse is it's all over our culture. Back in, uh, any, any big Tupac fans in here? Really big Tupac fans? I didn't think so. But anyway, in 1996, there was a huge hit by Tupac, uh, and it was called, Only God Can Judge Me. And, and that was kind of his point, was that you can't judge me, you're not God, right? Don't judge, right? You can't judge. And, and, and that phrase, only God can judge me, it's, it's all over the place. It's on bumper stickers, it's on, t- it's on tattoos, it's Facebook statuses, right? Just this past week, I saw it from several different people um, on Twitter, people, get, people accusing them of things and saying, only God can judge me, right? Don't judge. And, but does this verse really mean, don't ever judge? Don't, don't judge. You can't judge any. Don't judge, right? Well, let's look at the rest of Scripture. I think we always have to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. So in Romans 14, Paul told the Christians in Rome, don't judge one another. Okay, sweet. So don't judge, right? But then he taught the Corinthians that they were to judge sinful believers and leave people outside the church to God. And then James said in James chapter 4 that 
you shouldn't judge your brother. You should, uh, he who judges his brother speaks against the law. But then he also implied that our judgments should be full of mercy in James chapter 2. And if we keep reading, just in chapter 7 alone, we see that we're to help others with the speck in their eye after we take the log out of ours. What does that mean? It means you have to judge that something's wrong, that there is a speck there. And in verse 6, we have to make a judgment or an evaluation to whether someone uh, is, a, is a pig or a dog, and we'll explain that later. And in verse 16 and 20, we're to judge whether or not someone's a false teacher by the fruit of their lives. In Matthew 18, 5, Jesus tells us to show our brothers their faults. It sounds like judgment there. So, so the issue isn't should we judge or not. Apparently we should. According to the scriptures, apparently we should. But do we judge rightly? That's the issue here. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Luke 7, 24, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So why did Jesus say don't judge? If apparently, apparently we do judge, and, and apparently there's a way to judge well, why, why would Jesus say don't judge? And I think the answer to that question, a good place to start is the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 7, he's, it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' first like, like big sermon, right? Chapter, uh, uh, chapter 5 to chapter 7, we have, we have Jesus sitting down and, and teaching this incredible, giving this incredible discourse on if you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, this is what your life looks like. Now, throughout that whole discourse, he's constantly telling them, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the teachers of the law. And so in, in chapter 5, verse 20, that's the, the start of his sermon here. He says, your righteousness should exceed theirs. In chapter 6, verse 1, don't give to the poor like they do. Verse 5, don't pray like them. Verse, 10, verse 16, don't fast like them. I think this is the last thing he says in the Sermon on the Mount about the Pharisees. Don't judge like them. Why? Because the problem with the Pharisees is they always miss the point. They always miss the point. Your righteousness should exceed theirs because their righteousness is just self-righteousness. It's not anything that pleases me. Don't give like them because they give to please themselves, not to please God. Don't pray like them because they aren't sincere. Don't fast like them because they don't want God to receive the glory. They want to receive the glory. So don't judge like them because they're missing the point there too. And we see that in Jesus' explanation of, of chapter 7, verse 1, in verse 2. Look at verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Jesus says, if you judge like that, I'll judge you like that. If you judge harshly, I'll judge you harshly. If you judge according to those impossible standards, then I'll hold you to those same standards. It likens to his language in chapter 6, verse 15, where he says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, he says, blessed are the merciful, for what? They will receive mercy. But what was wrong with their judgment? Like, what was so wrong about their judgment? If judgment in and of itself is not an evil thing, then what was so wrong about their judgment? Look at verse 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So right here we see a few problems with the Pharisees' judgments. In fact, we see three problems with the Pharisees' judgment. One, the Pharisees judged as if they were above judgment. That, look back at verse 3. You see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye. Picture that right now. They see a speck in somebody else's eye, and there's a log sticking out of their eye. And here's what it says. You don't notice it. 
It doesn't say you ignore it. It doesn't say ignore it means that you, ignore, you know it's there. You're just you're kind of ignoring it. No, no, no. It says you don't notice it. What does that mean? You're so arrogant. You're so arrogant that you can't see your own errors. You don't leave enough room in your brain to think that there could even be a possibility that you're wrong, right? There's an incredible arrogance there. And Jesus told, uh, illustrated this great in a parable in Luke 18. He, he talked about a Pharisee who was praying. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, right? An incredible arrogance, being above people. And that was the Pharisee's problem. They judged as if they were above judgment themselves, And secondly, the Pharisees judge without discernment. Look at verse four. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in your own eye? Discernment would tell you what? I need to take care of this giant log protruding from my face before I worry about somebody with a sawdust in their eye, right? I need to, I need to worry about this, this, this cut down tree that's hanging off of my eye socket, right? Like that would be discernment. That's, that's discernment right there. And we all struggle with that. We all struggle with, with, with focusing on things that don't really matter in light of things that do matter. That's a discernment problem. Last week, uh, Angela turned on our dishwasher and she called me in the kitchen. Uh, she said, come here, come here, come here, come here. And our kitchen was just filling with water from the dishwasher, right? And I was like, wow, that's a lot of water. And she said, yeah, and it's not even cleaning our dishes. And I was like, I don't know if that's really important right now, right? Like, we got water here. Why don't, we'll, we'll pick up the dishes later, right? But we all struggle with some discernment here. And Pharisees, they usually missed what was most important for things of tertiary importance. So they would judge people by the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. Why? Because they always missed what was most important. And a great example of this is in Matthew chapter 12. Um, and, and this is an instance where, where they encountered Jesus. Going on from that place, he went in their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they, that's the Pharisees, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep, it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. It was completely restored just as the other, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. The Pharisees missed the point. The law was for what? It was for our good. Instead of doing good to other people, the Pharisees were saying, you got to keep the law. You got to go by the letter of the law. And Jesus said, are you kidding me? This is, you're missing the point here. Do good. That's what pleases God. Heal this man on the Sabbath. They missed the point. And that's why Jesus said to them in Matthew 23, 23, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. They, they judge without discernment. They miss what mattered. And thirdly, the problem was, was the Pharisees' judgment wasn't helpful. Look at verse five. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Because they were blinded by their own sin and by their own arrogance, they weren't helpful. They lacked the wisdom of God to be helpful. The scriptures say that the Lord resists the proud. So do you think that they had God's wisdom in helping their brother or their sister? No, right? So they weren't, their judgment wasn't helpful. So don't judge like the Pharisees. But can judgment be helpful? Can judging be helpful? Look back at verse five. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So my answer is yes. 
If it's done rightly, absolutely. In fact, we need it. I need help getting the speck out of my own eye. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The scripture shows us that we can be caught in sin. I love that picture there. Does anyone in here relate to that imagery, being caught in sin, right? Like, like you're trapped, right? And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the human heart is most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it, right? And what that scripture means is that I can fool myself, right? I can, I can be blinded to my own arrogance. I can be blinded to my own selfish attitudes, sinful actions, sinful behaviors. And I need my brother to look at me and go, hey, hey, hold on a second. Do you, do you even see that? Did you even hear what you just said? Did you hear how you said that? That was really graceless, how you said that. Did, did, you, did you even think about that? Like, have you really forgiven that person, right? I need that. I need help because sometimes I can be trapped as well. Proverbs uh, 29, 6 says, evildoers are snared by their own sin. I've been trapped in a prison of my own building before, haven't we all? Haven't we all done that before? We've made decisions. We've gone against the wisdom of God and, and we've trapped ourselves in, a, in, a, in our own prisons here of maybe of destructive thoughts or you sit under guilt and shame and just keep building, beating yourself up or, or I just get used to the sin being in my life and just lose all hope that I'll ever uh, be able to get out of it or I just try to ignore this pain that I have in my life and just try to live with it, Right? What do we need? We need brothers and sisters to help us, to see that speck in our lives, to see that problem and to help pull us out. We need each other. I need your help to be restored. I need your help to get the speck out of my eye. And it all starts with helpful judgment. Helpful judgment is a way we serve one another. It's a gift. It's not a curse. So how do we judge rightly? How can we be helpful in our judgment? Well, I have six observations and you have your notes there. Six observations from Matthew chapter 7 on how to judge well. Number one, judge humbly. Look at verse two. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Have you ever heard the phrase, bet your life on it, right? And like maybe you've used it, like and we use it for stupid stuff, right? Like I bet on my life that the new iPhone's gonna be bigger, right? I bet on my life that this coffee is decaf, right? I, I bet on my life that this candy is sugar-free. And I don't know, maybe if you're diabetic, that is a bet on your life. But like we use it really like flippantly all the time. And if you had to really bet your life on something, how many times would you really bet your life? Not a lot, right? Like probably not a lot and only when you're doubly sure, right? Only when you know like beyond a shadow of a shadow of a shadow of a doubt would you bet your life. Why? Because it's serious. And here's the deal. And so judgment is serious because as you judge, God will hold you to that same standard. So how often do you think you're going to be willing to judge? Because that's going to keep me humble. That's going to keep me aware that I can be dead wrong. And, and I'm, I'm rare. I can, I can never totally be right. I'll be aware that, that my ability to judge is absolutely limited. And I'll especially remember that I'm a sinful person who will one day be under judgment myself. So a good question to ask yourself. I'm going to give you a question for each one of these. A good question to ask yourself before you judge is, is this serious? Is this serious? Because judgment is serious. So is this serious? Is it serious enough for me to even consider um, um, judgment, even consider confrontation here? Because if it's not, let it go. The second observation on judging well, 
Judge purely, judge purely. Look at verse five. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. One of the funniest parts of having toddlers, now I have three of them. One of the funniest uh, parts of having toddlers is that whatever impulse or whatever feeling they have, they go with it, right? They never question it. It just happens. We were sitting there the other day on the couch watching a movie, and my son Max, who's three years old, was sitting next to me, and all of a sudden, he just bit me. Like, he just bit my shoulder, like, just right into my shoulder. And I was like, what happened? Why did that happen? And he was like, I don't know. I just wanted to, right? Like, it just, it just crossed his head, bite, okay, I'll bite, right? And the other day, my, my son Jude, my, our twins are two years old. Jude is sitting in the floor, and he's playing with some cars, just being incredibly kind and nice and wonderful. And Piper Grace, my little princess, is just sitting there, and she's watching Doc McStuffins or something. Out of nowhere, she just turns, grabs Jude by the back of his shirt, and just starts shaking him like this. And Jude, like, looks at me, and his eyes get real big. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't scream or cry or anything. His eyes just say everything. And his eyes are just like, why? Why is this happening to me right now? Are you going to help me, right? And, and like, there were, they weren't sharing toys. She didn't want his cards or whatever. I literally picked her up and put her down, uh, like, back where she was, and she was right back into Doc Me Stuffins. Like, it was just, all of a sudden, it hit her, like, I should shake him for a while, right? And so she did it. And that's funny for kids. It's funny that in little kids, like they just, they have an impulse and they follow it. But that's not funny in adults, right? You can't do that. When you have an impulse, you have a feeling, I just want to do this, right? You can't always do that or you'll go to jail, right? Like, and so because our, our hearts are deceitfully wicked, so we should always be on guard. So, uh, so when you judge an action or an attitude in someone else, don't forget that simultaneously you should be judging yourself. In that moment, you should be judging yourself. And that's a constant theme in the scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 13, we're told to examine our faith. In 1 Corinthians 11, we're told to examine ourselves before we take the Lord's Supper. Christians should be really hyper self-aware. So, so judge yourself. But specifically, what I mean is don't like, like oh, I didn't, I, I, I didn't get dressed well today. I don't mean that, but, but judge specifically what's your motive. So ask this question. Ask this question. Why am I thinking this? All right, so I've judged their, their action. This is a serious thing. This is a serious thing that's going on in their life. And, and, and I'm thinking this. I'm, I'm judging it whether or not it's pleasing the Lord or not. Why am I thinking this way? Why am I thinking this way? Am I jealous? Does it make me happy to see something go wrong in their life? Or do I really want the best for them, right? Why am I thinking this way? Judge yourself. Judge your motives. I would think that if the Pharisees were to do that, um, and they were really honest with themselves. They probably uh, would be silent more often than not. So why am I thinking this? Thirdly, judge with the goal of restoration of the other person. Look back at verse five. Take the log out of your own eye and what? And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Judgment that terminates on itself or judgment for judgment's sake is condemnation. It's not judgment, it's condemnation. And we've all done it. It's looking at somebody and saying like, you have a problem, you're never gonna change, right? It's hopeless. And love hopes all things. So it's hateful to think that way. And, but we've all done it. We've all looked down on someone. We've all despaired over someone. We've all judged someone to, to inflate our own ego or even confronted someone with no judgment or, or, or with judgment with no goal, right? Other than I just had to get this off my chest. I remember pretty recently, probably within the last year, I sat down with someone and, and I was just like, you know what? 
Like, the, really, the, the way you've been behaving lately, it's, it's, it's been really unacceptable. You've really been a jerk. And they responded in a way I did not expect. Here's what I was expecting. Well, you've been a jerk, right? But here's how they responded. Okay, what do I do about it? And I went, I haven't thought that far, right? Like, <laughs> my goal wasn't restoration. My goal was selfish. My goal was, I got to get this off my chest. It makes me feel better to say this. I didn't care how he heard it. I didn't care how it made him feel. My goal wasn't restoration. My goal was selfish. So a good question to ask yourself, if I follow through with this thought, if I continue with this thought, what do I hope the result will be? Do you hope the result will be selfish? Like, oh, I'll just feel better. I'll just get this off my chest. Do you hope to embarrass them? Or do you hope to restore them? So judge with a goal of restoration. Fourthly, judge with discernment. Look at Matthew chapter seven, look at verse six. Don't give dogs what's holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, hang on. Who were dogs? Who were pigs? What's a pearl, right? Like, we probably need to answer that before we can understand this analogy. Dogs. At this time, they, they lived in squalor. They were scavengers, right? Like, they were just dirty, uh, uh, nasty animals, and Jews would have viewed them as unclean. And so, this was a term they would refer to other people who were enemies of the covenant community of Israel or outside of the covenant community of Israel. Pigs, as well, were scavenging animals, but also, according to Old Testament law, they were unclean. So, so again, this is a term they would, they would use for people who are enemies of the covenant community of Israel or people outside of the covenant community of Israel that didn't serve the God of Israel. And pearls would symbolize the great value of the message of the kingdom of heaven. And so what this is saying is have discernment with holy things. Have discernment with holy things. Don't give it, or, or maybe we should say force it rather, we see, don't throw your pearls before pigs, right? That's not offering, that's, that's forcing. So don't force these holy things to those who don't want it. The scripture here says they're gonna abuse it, they're gonna disrespect it, and they're potentially gonna harm you because of it. And so in light of this scripture, I, I, the, the question I'm gonna give you here is a three-part question. It's just one question, but it's got three parts in it, and here it is. Does this need to be said by me to this person? That's your question. Does this need to be said by me to this person? The first part of this question is, does this need to be said? Is my judgment true? Is this truly a speck in their eye or is this a perceived speck? Do I think it's a speck, but it's not really a speck? Meaning, judgment without truth, without some sort of measurement of truth, right? Some sort of law, judgment without that is opinion, right? So is my judgment true according to some measurement of law, or is it my opinion? Here's the good news, Christians. We don't have to submit people to our opinions or our personal convictions. Why? Because we have the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So again, we have to be careful that our judgment that, that, that we're giving, we're speaking truth and not our opinion or our convictions on people. Historically, we're not very good at this. And, and this goes for me too. Like I, I remember uh, specifically in high school and college, like really judging people and, and enforcing my convictions about the music they listened to onto them as if the word of God spoke about their genre of music, right? I wish it did. I, I wish it spoke against country, but it doesn't. I don't know. So I just can't, I just have to throw it out there. I don't think it's healthy for you, but you can enjoy it. But anyway, I would speak out against people's movie choices as if the scriptures gave us a movie rating that was appropriate for Christians, right? 
Or, or I would speak out against people's involvement in church activities. Why isn't he at this? This is a good thing. I need to be here. He needs to be here. She needs to be here, right? But 1 Corinthians 13 says love doesn't insist on its own way. We should withhold judgment on personal preferences where the word of God is silent. If the word of God is silent, then I'm silent on judgment in that. Like Romans 14 speaks about not judging another believer because of their eating preferences or how they view the significance of special days. In fact, it goes on to say that our own convictions on these matters should never become a stumbling block to somebody else because then we got a real problem. Isn't that incredible? So we have to be careful that we don't let our own personal convictions and our own opinions be the guide for judgment, but instead we use discernment and we let the word of God be our guide. And so if the answer to the first part of your question, does this need to be said, is yes, then let's go to the next part. Does this need to be said by me? Is it appropriate for me to say it? Maybe you have a plank in your eye. And so maybe right now, your discernment would tell you, I gotta take care of this log in my eye first. Maybe you don't know them. That would be inappropriate. Maybe you aren't in a place that it would be appropriate. So if the answer's no, then you just leave it to God. But if the answer's yes, then go to the next part of the question. Does this need to be said by me to them? Is this appropriate for them? Will they listen or not? A couple of great examples, I think, of people that it'd be inappropriate to, to judge, be inappropriate to bring confrontation to. One uh, would be non-believers. It's inappropriate for us to, to judge their behavior. The best you could do, short of conversion, the best you could do is behavior modification. If you see something in their life and you say, that's not honoring to the Lord. If they don't become a believer, if they don't give their whole life to the Lord, then here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna get them to change their behavior. Well, guess what? The scriptures say that you can't please God without faith. So even with their behavior modification, they're still not pleasing God. What did you do? What have you accomplished? It's inappropriate. So tell them about Jesus. Love them like Jesus. Don't judge. The second thing is a professing believer that you've tried and you tried and they won't listen. Paul himself handed other believers, it, what he says is over to Satan. He kicked them out of the church and hoping that that would bring them to repentance. And so sometimes there's nothing more to be said. They're so rebellious, you followed all uh, uh, guidelines of Matthew 18 to confront them and to bring them restoration, and they aren't having it. Stop throwing your pearls before swine. Let them go. There's nothing more to be said. So remember this question. Does this need to be said by me to this person? Fifthly, judge with godly wisdom. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 7. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So ask, seek, and knock for wisdom. God, I want to judge rightly. I want to do this well. Ask for his wisdom. Ask wisdom. Lord, help me judge rightly. Seek wisdom in his word. My son Max the other day said, he said, you know what, Daddy? The Bible is better than gold. And I was like, you are right. Why? Because all of the, the, the wisdom that God wants to give us, it's right there for the taking. So seek his wisdom in, in his word and knock. Be persistent in your pursuit of wisdom. It might take some time and it might take some effort. 
You know, as a pastor, people come to me all the time uh, asking for advice or saying that, you know, this is going on in my life. What should I do? And I got to be honest, there are plenty of times where I'm just like, I don't, is that someone calling my name? Right? Like, I don't know. I don't know. And so there's a situation like that recently where someone came up to me and they were telling me about something going on. I was like, I don't, I don't know. But you know what? I kept thinking about it and I kept praying about it and I, I kept asking the Lord. And, and eventually one day, he spoke really clearly to me, some sort of wisdom for me to, to give to them. And it took a while to get that wisdom, but he gave it. Why? Because if you, what was his analogy? If you as sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the father want to give us good gifts, right? Think about that picture. It says, who of you, if, if your son asks for a fish, you give him a serpent, right? That'd be like if your son says, hey, I want a happy meal. And you're like, here's a, a cobra. Good luck, right? Like, that's ridiculous. So how much more would God give us a good gift if we ask? So ask for his wisdom, he'll grant it. So a good question to ask yourself to see your, if you're in line with godly wisdom in your thinking is do the scriptures, the character, and the nature of God agree with this judgment? Do the scriptures, nature, and character of God agree with this judgment? And I don't mean just ask that question and go, yeah, I think so. No, prove it. Prove it to yourself. Chapter and verse, prove it to yourself first. And sixthly, and lastly, judge with gentleness. Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know, I've had people in my life get disappointed with me because I am not perfect and I do stupid things, right? It's happened, right? And, I, and, and shocker, I didn't do it on purpose. I'm just literally stupid, right? But I've done that. And you know what? They've confronted me and they've confronted me in two different ways. I've had people say, Grant, you messed up. Um, now we're, we're kind of in a pickle here. How are we gonna fix it, right? Let's fix it. How are we gonna figure this out? I've also had people come to me and say, Grant, you're really dumb. You probably go uh, to bed with a ruler every night to see how long you're gonna sleep, right? Like, and so they say things like that to me. And you know what? I respond well to one of those. I don't respond well to the other one. Can you care to take a guess which one? To the gentle request, I respond well to that, right? And so remember, when you judge, be gentle. And in the judgment, that means in the judgment and the confrontation. And what I mean by in the judgment is be gentle in your judgment. Be compassionate. Be understanding. Have the attitude of, that could be me, right? We're uh, really quick to compare ourselves to other people, aren't we? Like, that's what we are. We're in a world of comparison, you know? Like, you go to the supermarket, and you see those little tabloid uh, papers or whatever. It's always like, who looks better in this dress? Or, uh, you know, like, like, best beach bodies. We're always comparing ourselves to people. And so, like, we, we do that really easily, and, and we can always find somebody who we deem more messed up than we are, Right? But in our judgment, instead, we have to be gentle, we have to be kind, and we have to be understanding. We have to say, but for the grace of God, go I. There's not a single thing that anyone's ever done in the history of humanity that any of us in this room are incapable of doing. I mean that. There's nothing vile enough, more disgusting. In, 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 there's nothing so terrible that we are incapable of doing it. Why? Because the heart's deceitfully wicked above all things. Who knows it? I don't know the depth of my own depravity. We should constantly be aware of that and let that uh, inspire in us gentleness and say, but for the grace of God, go I. But for the grace of God, I would be there. But for the grace of God, I would make that same mistake. 
but for the grace of God. So be gentle in your judgment, but also especially in your confrontation. Galatians 6.1, again, if anyone's caught in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Do you catch that? It says, if you're caught in any transgression, restore him with gentleness. That, you know what that means? It doesn't matter on a level of this makes you really mad to this doesn't make you mad. No matter where that sin falls, you have to respond in what way? The same way. In what? Gentleness. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be incredibly, uh, almost seemingly benign, and it could be incredibly offensive. What's the response? A spirit of gentleness every time. So I think a good question to ask yourself here is, am I being gentle in my judgment? And I think this is where godly counsel comes in really, really handy. You know, if you're, if you're thinking through this and this, I mean, this is step six, right? So you're, you're getting pretty serious about these thoughts you're having. And, 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 and this is going to come to, you're going to follow through with maybe even a confrontation. So this is, this is a real thing. You're really, you're really trying to, to make, have an effect in this person's life. I would seek out godly counsel and, and, and just start talking to them. Say, you know what? This is what I'm thinking. This is what I've been thinking. This is, this is how I think it agrees with the character and nature of God. And, and you know, this is, this is how I, I think I'm going to approach it, right? And I think when you do that, it, it helps a lot because other people can hear your tone when you can't hear your tone. And other people can hear certain language choices that you don't necessarily hear that, uh, and, and understand that you're using, Right? And that's helped me so many times where, where maybe you think something sounds really gentle and then the other person goes, oh, hey, you know what? When you said that, I really bristled. It wasn't even about me, but I still bristled. Like that was, that was a little, I wouldn't say it like that. That's a little harsh, right? I don't know if, that, if that's a spirit of gentleness, right? Or maybe even they're gonna catch something in your thought process that you didn't catch before. So again, ask yourself that. Am I being gentle in my judgment? So I want to close with this thought. I want to close with probably the most conveniently half-quoted scripture in the scriptures, as far as my understanding is. It's James 5, 16. The part we quote, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We love talking about that, right? Because you know people say like, in, in the Christian world, you say, how you doing? And someone says something negative, instead of just patting them on the back and just walking away or whatever, what do we always say? I'm praying for you, Right? And then it's helpful to say, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as is working, right? Or I've always heard, the prayer of a righteous man avails much, right? Like that's, that's really convenient and nice and helpful. But think about the first part of that verse too. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We need each other. Like, like we really need each other. We need to confess our sins to each other. We need to watch out for one another. And we need to judge well. We need to be helpful in our judgment. So let me close with these questions. Do you have people in your life that are speaking the truth in love to you? Do you have that? And, and if you don't, why? Is it because you're not allowing it? I, I think that if, if, you're, if you're not allowing that, if you don't have people in your life who are looking for the speck in your eye, who are, who are helping you, want to restore you in all gentleness, can I, I'm going to say this, this statement, this bold statement, I think it's true. If you don't have that, if you don't have that accountability, you don't have those people in your life who are being honest with you, who are looking out for you, who are watching your back, really, you're living a defeated life. Yep, you're living a defeated life. And you can come talk to me and try to prove me wrong, but you're living a defeated life. There's no way you're living in the fullness of joy God has for you outside of the community he designed you to live in. 
You're living a defeated life. And I would even say that there are probably plenty of people in this room who, who are living a defeated life, pretending that they're not, trapped behind that statement of, don't judge me, only God can judge me, right? Not letting anyone get close to them, not letting anyone see what's really going on, not letting anyone get near um, the things that are really hurting them, the things that are really holding them back. This is a beautiful intimate, wonderful gift that God gives his community of believers to serve one another with. Are you letting people serve you? Because if you're not, you're missing it. And I guarantee you, you're living defeated. The other question I have is, are you judging well? Maybe some of you in this room, as we've just talked about how do you judge well and how serious it is and the humility that's involved and the discernment that's involved and the the goal of restoration that's involved, maybe some of you, you need to ask for forgiveness. I gave you an example earlier where I had to, absolutely. I, I judged without the goal of their restoration. I judged with the goal of making myself feel better, just getting something off my chest. And I had to ask forgiveness. So maybe that's true for you. And maybe, maybe you are judging well. You know, maybe something's been bothering you. you. You've been ignoring it, right? Maybe you've been saying to yourself, don't judge, don't judge. I can't judge, right? And maybe this is serious. And maybe this is a speck in their eye that's, that's really harming them and trapping them. And maybe they're ensnared. And maybe you, according to Galatians 6, 1, who are spiritual should restore them in all gentleness. Maybe you need to confront them in all gentleness. I don't know. But I think that the Lord probably has a lot for us to do um, with what he said to us today. Can I, can I pray for us? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Lord, saying the word judge like puts, puts me on edge. And I'm sure it does for the people in this room. There, I mean, there might be people who like, they might not even agree with anything I just said, that, that whole idea of judgment, it's so closely related in their mind to condemnation that they, don't, they can't see it as something that could possibly be helpful or, or, or serve us in any way, and, and they're just, ugh. And so, Lord, we need you to break through some of those attitudes, and we need you to break through um, these fears we've had that have held us back from letting people in and like really being the community of faith that you want us to be. For my brothers and sisters out there who are trying to be the Lone Ranger, following Jesus all by themselves, dealing with their sins all by themselves, thinking they can get themselves out of any hole. I mean, the scriptures say, woe to the man who, who's by himself for he falls and he has no one to pick him up. So, Lord, my prayer for those people is that um, they would open up. They'd find that person or those people that they can trust. And they'd take a risk. They'd step out and they'd start letting people into their lives. Because if it's following your wisdom, then it's for their joy. So I pray they would see it as something joyous. And Lord, would you help us not be people of condemnation? Would you help us not be people of um, judgment like the Pharisees judged? We're arrogant. 
where we had no goal for them, our goal was for ourselves, where we were inappropriate, forcing our opinions and our personal convictions on other people or, or even throwing our, our pearls before swine for people who don't want it. Like help us judge rightly, help us to judge well, to serve one another with it rather than to serve ourselves with it. I really need to learn that. So help us learn that. Help us have the courage to repent of these horrible attitudes, these pharisaical attitudes towards other people. And Lord, there are other people in this room as well. Um, they don't know you. Like they know, they know about you, sure. They, they've come to church. I mean, they're here today, aren't they? But they don't, like, they don't know you. Lord, my prayer for them today is that they'd follow you today. Today would be the day where they'd say, I'm not gonna live for me anymore. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I want a fresh start. I'm just curious, with, with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, no one look around. Please don't look around. Did I just describe anybody in here? Like, is there anybody in here who really does need to follow Jesus? Like, maybe you've been in church forever. I don't know. Maybe you haven't. That's not what I'm asking. But I mean, you really, really need to give your life to Jesus. You really need to follow him. Like, for real, follow him. Give him your life. Like not just Sunday, Wednesday, whatever, but really day in, day out, follow him. Is that anybody in here? Would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Is anybody in here? I see. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you raise your hand, talk to God right now. Tell him that. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for, for living my own way. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Save me. Give me a new life. Give me a fresh start. I trust what you did on the cross for me. And I believe you're alive. And I'm gonna follow you the rest of my life. If you told him that, or you, you, you expressed that in some way, that's the attitude of your heart. The scriptures say you're saved. You're his now and forever. He's given you a new start. He's made you his child. You're forgiven. So we're about to sing. We're about to stand and sing together. And if that was you, if you prayed that prayer, then I'm gonna ask you to come forward. I'm gonna be down front. Brother John will be down front. Come forward. Jesus said, if, if you're ashamed of me in front of this sinful and adulterous nation, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my Father in the presence of the holy angels. So if that's really the attitude of your heart, you really want to follow Jesus, like step out. Come talk to me. Let's re- I want to tell you what's next. I want to rejoice with you. And for, for the rest of us in this room, other believers, I don't know what the Lord wants you to do. I, I really don't. 
I mean, maybe he wants you to stand and sing as loud as you can. Maybe he wants you to lay down on your, uh, just, just flat out on the, the ground with your face in the floor. I don't know. Maybe he wants you to come forward and use these steps as an altar. Uh, maybe you need to go and apologize to someone. Maybe you need to go pray with someone. I, I don't know. But you worship, you do whatever the Lord's called you to do as well. Lord, we love you. Um, would you fill us with all the courage and the boldness to please you in this time? Uh, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.